Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Subscribe on iTunes. Get it on the Stitcher app on your smartphone or get it at pulphockey.com. Ferraro20 is the code to save you money at 2-under. The number 2 UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. A ton of NHLers are wearing 2-under, so you should too. And you should use the code Ferraro20 to save. All right, with me on the line, uh, 26th season now, calling the uh, being a color analyst for the LA Kings from Fox Sports West, former LA King, um, played all his games for the LA Kings, as a matter of fact, and uh, one of the best guys out there on the TV calling the games, Jim Fox. What's up, Jim? How are you? Well, we're doing fine. Thank you very much. Everything going pretty well this season. Uh as far as the team is concerned, so uh, we're pretty happy that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's rolling along. Uh, first off, I guess the news today broke your partner, and Jim. I got to be honest, I didn't know you were in your 26th season. I was, I knew you'd been doing it a while, but I didn't know you were doing 26 seasons. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's something that um, we had a ceremony the other day uh-huh. here in Southern California. There was an award ceremony, and um, I was talking about Bob, and I was saying, you know what, it is the thing I'm most proud of. Because it is by far the longest current tenure of play-by-play and color men uh, together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bob is just a, a great man. But, uh, yes, today it was announced that Bob will be going, undergoing uh, open-heart bypass surgery. And he's going to take care of that as soon as possible. Uh, I've talked to Bob over the last few days mm-hmm. and was aware of what was going on. But uh, it did become public. And uh, Bob's in really good spirits. Mm-hmm. He realizes he has to take care of it. Uh, I would say that he had not suffered any major episode. He didn't have a heart attack or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, it's still serious. Of course. Uh, but he says he's going to use this opportunity to make sure that people are out there, that when you're getting your annual physical, you know what, sometimes you can get some extra screening done. That's what happened to him. He found out about it. He's going to take care of it. Yeah, it. Uh, we wish him well for sure. Now, Bob Miller... I mean, he goes back to the Jack Kent Cook days. He wasn't an inaugural guy with the Kings, but it wasn't sure after, right, that he, he started calling games? That's correct. Uh, Bob is 46 years in with the Kings. 46 years. And, uh, <laughs> Jeez. He's well over 50 years in broadcasting because mm-hmm. he started, you know, he grew up in Chicago, so he started in the Midwest. I mean, he's interviewed Jesse Owens. He's interviewed Vince Lombardi. He's interviewed Muhammad Ali. He's interviewed many, many icons mm-hmm. throughout the years, so well over 50 years in sports, uh, certainly long time with the L.A. Kings, uh, University of Wisconsin before that, their hockey team with Bob Johnson was there, so um, Bob is certainly going to be in the thoughts and prayers of a lot of people here because he's an icon, he's an ambassador, mm-hmm. he's just a good man for the game of hockey, uh, and uh, just a pleasure to work with. Uh, I know that anyone that hangs around with Bob uh, you have a great time. No one tells a joke. No one tells a story better than Bob. And mm-hmm. uh, 
we'll miss him here while he's uh, on the action. He's on IR, but uh, yeah. like I said, we'll get him back as soon as possible. Yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt about it. I mean, we're talking a guy that, like a Bob Cole up in Canada. You know, Bob Miller has been there. I read both his books, and, and they're interesting. They were funny stories, and how he got into the Kings was a little bit of a funny story. And and so for you, the color analyst, do you have to change much of your style? Like, who's going to fill in for Bob? And I mean, obviously, you guys work so well together. How I guess it affects you a little bit, right? Uh, yes, uh, I will be working. Nick Nixon, who does the radio, but he's been here since 1981. He was actually the, the color commentator along with Bob for a number of years before uh, I joined on, and they had to. They used to have a simulcast where radio TV went out together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they split that up, but I joined 26 years ago. Uh, since then, Nick's been doing the play-by-play on radio, so he'll just move over to TV. We've done it a couple times in the past okay. where that's happened. Yep. Uh, it will be an adjustment, but you know we're we're just uh, going to make the best of a you know a, a serious mm-hmm. a situation but uh we'll, it, it won't be more than one or two games and we'll be on the same page uh because sure. I I've worked with Nick before I've listened to him many times right um when we don't do the games when a national crew takes over right and uh you know it'll be uh, it'll be an opportunity for for us to continue to bring high quality broadcasts for LA Kings and uh uh you yourself um this season, it, the Kings are rolling. They're back. Um, it's it's you know they're once again after missing the playoffs last year. People were kind of saying, okay, well, what are these guys going to do? You know, I did one of these with Robin Regeer uh, a couple weeks ago, and I asked him about the Kings, and we were talking about. It. I want to see if you agree with him. He, he said, you know, he still talks to a lot of the guys on the team now. He thought that the amount of hockey that everybody had played, plus the kind of the turmoil, Mike Richards, Voinov. Uh, this kind of things, um, maybe more more so the hockey though, caught all up to the guys, and when they missed the playoffs, it might have been the best thing for them at the time. And 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 it's true, they played a ton of hockey. What do you think of Robin's theory? I think there's a lot of truth to that. The only <laughs> disclaimer I'm going to put on that is this: the Chicago Blackhawks have played <laughs> as many games. They have, and they won. They won three. Right. So. It's the disclaimer I'll put on this. It's a lot of hockey, and it is a more difficult style of hockey. Mm-hmm. That's what the Kings believe in. That's their philosophy. But it is more taxing. The Kings play a wear-down type of style where they wear down the opposition. It has a much more physical quality to it than the Chicago Blackhawks. Obviously, one can be effective as mm-hmm. the other because both teams have done very well in the last five years. So it's not one over the other. It's just different. And I think that does go into what Robin was saying. Because of that style and the amount of games, uh, it does wear not only down the opposition, Mm -hmm. but there's a physical wear-down effect on the Kings themselves. And and I think, you know, missing a playoff, they they missed by a couple points. It's not like they fell off the face (laughs) of the earth. They were still top 10 all year in goals against all those. The numbers look good. The possession numbers right at the top of the NHL. Uh, But, uh, yeah, the opportunity there – to make sure you're healthy in the offseason, get your entire fitness program going, uh, that's a big plus for the Kings coming into this year. Daryl Sutter is, uh, and again, I was getting some stories from Regeer. He got coached by all the Sutters, Brian, Daryl, and uh, and Brent. But uh, I was getting, uh, you know, you, you some of the national media, some of the things you watch, they make fun of him. His interviews are comedy. He lashes out at some guys sometimes. Sometimes he's not making a lot of sense. Um, but he's been a good coach for a long time for San Jose and, of course, Calgary. 
and you're, I imagine you're friends with him. You see him all the time on the road. What's he like? What's he, he must play it this up a little bit to the media, this little bit of a, uh, a hillbilly, I would say, maybe for lack of a better term, um, of what he really is, right? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, uh, it is, I would, I'm not friends with Daryl, no. Um, he does not have that type of relationship. Okay. Yep. Uh, at, least, at least with me, he doesn't. He <laughs> might have it with other media. Right. Uh, there are, but I think the one thing I'm completely understanding of and completely behind 100% is that every single thing that Daryl Sutter does, he does to give his team the best opportunity to win a hockey game. Mm-hmm. Everything he does, uh, he doesn't, I'm not going to say he doesn't care about the media, but it is a very light, low priority with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, there are times, like every coach will use the media to send a message, but Daryl very rarely ever singles out players positively or negatively right, either in the one. media. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of his philosophy, and it's part of the philosophy of the LA Kings to not separate an individual from the group. Mm-hmm. They really believe that, and they stick to that all the time, and that's where Daryl is 100% on top of it. Uh, I can remember the other day when he was, you know, so it, was a, it was a perfectly okay question, no problem with it, but he was, you know, pointed out that Vinny LeCavalier over the years has been a good guy with the media mm-hmm. and he's easy to get along with oh, and Daryl says well I don't care about that I don't care if he, <laughs> as long as he helps me win games yeah uh, you know that's that's his attitude that's his demeanor and having been able to ride the coattails so to speak uh, being involved with the organization for such a long period of time to have Daryl Sutter and Dean Lombardi lead us to two Stanley Cup championships Mm-hmm. I say go, keep doing it, don't change a thing, Sure, because that's what works. No doubt. Uh, speaking of LeCavier, my next question was about him. Brought over, um, you know, wasn't playing at all with the Flyers, big contract, people wrote him off. Uh, I think he's got four, maybe maybe five now. Um, what do you see from him? What are you surprised about him? And, you know, a lot of people said he didn't have the wheels still to, uh, to be an effective player, but Daryl's got him going. Well, Dale's giving him an opportunity, and, and an opportunity that he didn't have in Philadelphia for probably the, the correct reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're at a different stage in their building of the franchise, so he was caught into a contract situation, and there was a change in leadership in Philadelphia You know, after the time he joined the team, so there was a change in philosophy. Uh, to expect, and you, know, you have to kind of say this going out, and everyone does, we don't expect him to score like he once did, mm-hmm. although if you prorate what he's done so far, he's <laughs> yeah. at a 40-goal pace. Yeah. So that's uh, that would be okay. But, again, it's philosophy. It's team building. They did their research, they being Dean Lombardi and the staff. Mm-hmm. They looked at him. Daryl Sutter even mentioned that he watched him when Philadelphia was in town, and they, he knew he wasn't in the lineup, but watched him at the end of the morning skate to see how hard he was working at his work okay. to make sure he was staying ready. So those little things, they did all the homework, yep. but he fits He fits the profile of what they're going for, and that is a big centerman. Vinny used to be a skilled centerman who had good size. Yep. Now what the Kings are looking at as a big-sized centerman who can bring you some skill, and there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. But if you look down the middle, Kopitar, yep. Carter, the Cavalier, that is pretty good down the middle with a size. He's also been there. He's won a cup. Sure. 
He knows that he has to come. He knows what he's expected to do here. He does not have to be the guy. That's not what he has to do anymore. He has to be a piece of the puzzle. He understands that. He's more than fitting in right now. But to expect him to continue to score the way he is now, I think would be unrealistic. If it happens, yeah. I'll kiss him on both cheeks. <laughs> I'll kiss him all four cheeks if that's the case. But uh, <laughs> just keep doing that, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll love it. But uh, I think that size factor is a very, very big, huge commodity for the Kings to have down the middle. His promise to Lombardi that he's going to retire, he might just take that back <laughs> and be like, no, I still got <laughs> it. I'm playing. So, um, cause You yeah. know what? If, if they went all the way and won, if something like that, then oh. there's always ways to adjust. <laughs> I know. Then there's a, that, that would be a sticky situation for sure. Uh, Anzi Kopitar, new contract, of course, took a lot longer than a lot of people thought. And I think the Kings are trying to keep it under ten million in some of those uh, some of those annual salaries, but I think it is in a few of them. But uh, this guy, Gretzky, called him you know one of the greatest players a couple of years ago that maybe nobody knows. You see him on a day to day basis. Uh, I watch him when I can. Um, he seems like he's an incredible on both ends of the ice. He's a little sneaky. Got a little sneaky shot better than people probably realize. What a smart, smart player, man. And I remember. I went to Slovenia a few years ago for for a media assignment, and they love him over there, man. <laughs> they really thought they were telling me about him uh, years ago. So he's a big. He's obviously, I think he's the only guy to make it from that country to uh, to the NHL. But what's he like day to day? Well, I'll tell you what. They don't love him any more than I do. <laughs> uh, he is. If you were to put together a videotape to how for how to play the center position, Andre Kopitar would be one of the guys that you would use. Keep in mind here, he's 230-plus. Yeah, big he's guy. He's a big, big yeah. man. Uh, he's not a quick skater, but he's an extremely powerful skater. Mm-hmm. His hands are spectacular. But it comes with his father was a coach. And I assume through osmosis, growing up, learning, listening to his dad, he applies himself to the system as well as anyone. He is reliable mm-hmm. for the defense to be the outlet as the first man on a pass to leave the zone. He's reliable leaning down low defensively, making sure he's leaning on the other team. He's reliable for face-offs. And then when he gets the puck, he is extremely skilled, world-class skill. I would put him certainly in the top three centermen in the league. Mm-hmm. I have no problem saying that. And uh, I think that if you're a coach – trying to, as I mentioned, trying to teach a younger kid or even a younger NHL player how to apply yourself to play in the National Hockey League, Andre Kopitar would be all over that highlight reel. It would be, that video would be filled yeah. with examples from Andre. What does he, who does he remind you of, of, a, of another NHLer? Like, I, I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but, I mean, just because he's so big, but yet is skilled, but he's not, like, Mario skilled, but... What is he? What does he yeah. remind you of? I'll give you a guy. Now, I'm going way back here. Yeah, so yeah. Shows you my age. <laughs> I think he reminds me of Jean Beliveau. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's who he reminds me of. Same stride, same body type. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, Montreal winning all those cups. Uh, Jean Beliveau with the moves that he had. The offense was there. The offense he provided. Uh, that's what he reminds me of. He also reminds me of Jean Beliveau off the ice because Andre, since the time he got here as a young kid, always had this mentality and attitude of kind of like a statesman. Just, you know, that guy who was always under control, Mm -hmm. very intelligent, very considerate, and probably in the back of his mind always has the big picture. You know, that's right there. It's 
It's never about him. It's about a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And he is he is low maintenance. Yeah. There's no maintenance needed whatsoever. Nothing at all. Uh, you know, you're getting towards that again. I, I say top three centers. Nowadays, I think we understand how important that center position is. Yeah. Maybe more so than in the past. And uh, I think, you know, he's one of those guys, if you're starting a team with, you know, you'd say that's the type of guy you want. Yeah, does it get much better for the Kings with Quick, Dowdy, and uh, Kopitar up the middle, right? Like, the, 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 uh, as a Leaf fan, I wish I wish we had that. <laughs> um, You're coming. It's getting better. In I know. I hope so. Getting I better. I just talked to Ferraro, and he was telling me how great he loves, how much he loves Mike Babcock. So I'll go with that because I am impressed with Babcock's job. He's done, no doubt. I've seen I've seen two games. We've played two games against him this year, and the Kings won one, and the Maple Leafs won one. And I'll tell you what, the product, the system, the approach is completely different. So uh, it's just going to be a matter of time. Now, like we said, you played for the team. He's the only team you ever played for in the league. Uh, 26th season as the analyst. And I got to say, like, when the Kings won the Cup the first time, they, they were an eight seed going in. They went on this run, and they won the Stanley Cup. And I got to say, a guy like yourself, Bob Miller, uh, even Marcel Dion, wherever he was, um, I was happy for guys like you. Uh, but even Wayne a little bit. He won a lot, but... Watching seeing the LA Kings win a cup, and of course they won another one. But to me, it had to have been just—I mean, I sure you weren't calling the games because now they're on a national scale. But man, you got you—you know—that had been pretty pretty neat for a guy that been lives lives and and bleeds uh, King colors, right? Uh, it was absolutely everything, right? Professionally, uh, it changed my life. We did do the games just to let you know. Okay, uh, we were doing them. Uh, for a DVD that would be released at a date, later date with proceeds benefiting the King's Care Foundation. Oh, cool. So we only did the games where the Kings had a chance to clinch the Stanley Cup. Yep. yep. In 2012, we did game four, uh-huh. and they didn't win. We did game five, they, they didn't, didn't win, win. But we did game six. <laughs> right. We did game six, and of course they won. Uh, I'm not afraid to say, or I'm not ashamed to say in any means, it brought me to tears. Wow. It still yeah, brings yeah. me to tears when I think about it. I've given many speeches since, uh-huh. and um, every time I do it, I get choked up. It, uh, my wife has been with me for, uh, we've married uh, 35 years coming up this mm-hmm. summer, and she's as big a fan as I am, and she loves the Kings. And like I said, it changed our lives. We had struggled for so many years. You're always hoping in the back of your mind that it's going to happen someday. Right. And then when it finally happens, there is a release there of emotion that I'd never experienced before. I wasn't playing at the time, obviously. Yeah, but still. I don't want yeah. to take any credit yeah. for anything. I don't deserve any credit for anything, but I'll tell you what. It was an incredible feeling. And then in 2014, it was so different okay. because yeah. you know, you're down 0-3 in the first series. Uh-huh. 2012, every series the Kings were up. Oh, yep. Every series. So it was, it's never easy, <laughs> but it was, it seemed easier if I can say it that way. 2014, I think it can be argued it was the most difficult path to the Stanley Cup ever. I'm talking about the teams that the Kings had to beat. You take their point separation of the points they had in the regular season San Jose, Anaheim, Chicago. Mm-hmm. That was a tough road to get to the cup. Yeah. And 
the way they did it, three game sevens on the road to win it. Uh, it was, yeah, and you're talking about impressive. I don't know if I see <laughs> anything more impressive than that. Well, and, and you know, it's a different kind of impressive from the first run, which was an eight seed never going going up three zero the whole time and dominating. Right? Two different ways you can win the cup. Two totally different ways. Um, it, it was. Yeah. It was. You know, twelve was. Twelve was a team that had been built exactly for those moments. Mm-hmm. But twelve was a team that got on that roll, and they were, if you see a well-oiled machine, it was clicking every yep. single aspect. You know, 14, again, going down 0-3 didn't start that way, and the, and the first two games against San Jose, the Kings were killed. Yeah. And San Jose filled the net in games one and games two. Uh, and it was, Kings won game five in San Jose, and I said to myself, they're going to win. Really? They yeah. dominated. Yeah. They dominated Game Five. Right. They just dominated, and it was carbon copy of what they did in twelve. And then they just went on from there uh, again to beat Anaheim, Game Seven yeah. on the road. Chicago, Game Seven on the road. Different styles of teams they're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's more than impressive. Guys like yourself and Bob, just you know, and like I said, Marcel, been there, fought the fight, try, you know, introducing hockey to Southern California way before the Ducks were there, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Those are the guys I thought of. Um, then well, how, cool that must, uh, how cool that must have been. So Yeah, that's, uh, that's much appreciated because uh, it did yeah. it did have a huge, and still having a huge impact on my life. It, it really is. Uh, I, I remember telling the story at the parade, and uh, I'll be honest with you, the parades to me were the most enjoyable moments. Okay. More so than even games, the games that they won the Cup in because – I was just a basket case during the games, and you're you're so nervous and you're so filled with anxiety. You know, two or three days later, when you have a chance to go on a parade and see, you know, 250,000 people downtown LA and and generations of Kings fans. You know, you yeah. have the kids, yep. you had their siblings, they had their parents, and then their grandparents, all watching. Uh, that to me, uh, you know, uh, the nerves were over. We could enjoy it, uh, but I remember telling a story. When we were on air during the parade, and I visited so many different schools because I worked in community relations mm-hmm. after I played, and even when I was playing, you know, you go to schools all the time, sure. And you, you know, you, you bring the hockey equipment there, and you dress up a kid in hockey equipment, and <laughs> you know, you talk about the Kings, and you always get the question at the end: How many times have the Kings won the Stanley Cup? <laughs> yeah. And I never ever could say yes. And yeah. you know what? It might be a selfish thought. But that's the first thing that entered my mind when we won. Oh, wow. The next time I go to a school, <laughs> the kid asks me yeah. how many times the kids, the Kings have won the Stanley Cup. Right. Now I can say one. And now I can say two. So did you, I, I, I just can't believe how fortunate I am. Did you get to spend any time with the Cup or no? Just players only? Uh, they now take care of the entire uh, oh, organization. Cool. Okay. We, we, as broadcasters, we were able to get four hours with it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so, and then uh, at the end of the uh, 2012, we went into a lockout. So when we went into a lockout, the Cup came back to L.A. for a little extended, you know, stay. Yeah, so yeah. More sponsors could be involved and right. more season ticket holders and, excuse me, season ticket members. 
could be involved. And we were we were friends. We became friends with Mike Bolte. That he does the he's one of the keepers of the cup. Mm-hmm. He went to university at Laurentian University in Sudbury, where I grew up, just outside of Sudbury, Ontario. So we always were telling him, me and my wife, we saw him at 37 million parties. Right, sure. And we'd say, we'd say you know, you got to come over for dinner one day. Yeah. So finally when he brought the cup back for that extended tour because of the lockout, I just, we invited him over for dinner. And we didn't expect anything. And... He had a little trouble finding my house, so <laughs> I got on the cell phone for him. I have a little balcony overlooking the street, uh-huh. and I kind of talked him in. And when he got there, he said, do you mind? <laughs> Can I, I bring my, my friend, oh, yeah. me, my little friend. Yeah, yeah. And he had to come with us again. <laughs> so we put it on our table. We uh, ate dinner with it. Cool. And I took pictures. And I tell you what, when I got the pictures back, it looked like the cup was photoshopped in because <laughs> I've eaten on that table so many times before. Right, right. And it, you know, the cup wasn't there. And yeah. then when I ate dinner that night, it was there, and it, it looked, yeah, I guess surreal, as they would say. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool story. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm glad for you and, and Bob and everybody. Um, let's talk about your career a little bit. Uh, Paul Pocky podcast here with the the great Jim Fox. Uh, get into your career a little bit. You had a nice career, three-time 30-goal uh, scorer, missed it another time, 10th overall, um, scored 65 goals with the uh, 67s back in the day. But I'm curious, I want to get, I have more questions, but the, the end of the career, everything I looked at you, it said you suffered a career-ending knee injury. Like, what did you do? How bad was it? What happened? Well, I, I ended up uh, I ended up falling into the boards in Boston one night, mm-hmm. and... I remember we we got beat bad that night. I played the rest of the game. The next shift, I was on the bench, and I just stood up, and I felt something pop in my knee, mm-hmm. my right knee. And then we went, we flew home the next day, and because we lost so bad, they put it through one of those, you know, bag skates. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, you know, I went about halfway through, and Bernie Nichols was on the team, and he was always jawing my ear, you know. Right. I went there, I said, Bernie, I've got to leave. I can't I can't continue. I just can't keep going here. I, I tried to stay on as long as I could, because yeah. you're getting back skated. You want to, yeah. you got to take the punishment with the rest of the team. Right. And I just finally had to go to the coach and say, Coach, you know, I can't go anymore. Well, that was it. And then I had a surgery about a month later, mm-hmm. and... I remember Steve Lombardo, he was our doctor, came in, and he, I had some kneecap issues. And he just said after the first surgery, he said I did what I could. Uh, about six months later, I had my left knee done. And then about three months after that, I had my right knee done again. And then about three months after that, I had my left knee done again. Oh, geez. So I had four surgeries, and <laughs> I did come back and play 11 games in, a, in a, one of the following seasons. Yep. But... I felt better at training camp, but as each game and week went along, it just got worse. Uh, so wow. I just finally had to hang it up, and, and that's what happened. So, so it really wasn't. I, I was yeah. there. I missed the entire season that was Wayne's first year. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, uh, and that that was unfortunate. You know, things changed, but in all honesty, that's why I was able to get my job in broadcasting because when Wayne joined the Kings, they, again, they used to do a simulcast where the mm-hmm. radio and TV feed went out on the same right. feed. They would only do intermissions differently. And they, you know, with Wayne coming aboard, the 
business side of the operation said, you know what, we have an opportunity to generate another revenue stream here. So they split up the radio and TV. Yeah. And I was the recently retired guy hanging around, and I was able to get the job. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I remember I moved to California from Winnipeg, like in 96, down to uh, um, Huntington Beach area, and I could not find the Kings on the radio. Like it was, I, obviously they were there somewhere, but they seemed to change uh, stations all the time. And I was trying to listen to games and it was AM radio for a little while. And uh, I was like, oh man, you know? But you, you wouldn't believe it now. KABC no. is one of the longest standing, longest running, most powerful stations in Los Angeles. Uh, channel uh, 790 KBC, and it is, it is the King Station right now. So yeah. things have changed. <laughs> Where were you when? And, who, and you must have thought someone was joking when they said, hey, we got Gretzky. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit longer than that, a little deeper than that. My agent, his name is Ron Salser. Okay, yeah. He, yeah. Called me about, he called me about two weeks before it happened, and he said, you know what, I'm hearing some stuff here. Okay. Uh, but, of course, I, when you get the call, I mean, the first thing I did was pick up the phone and call my dad. Yeah. And say, Dad, guess what? <laughs> uh, you know. And so that's it's one of those moments where you know when, you, when the first thing you think about is to pick up your phone and call your parents. Yeah, it's a pretty important thing, and that's what it was. And oh, that must, have, know, just, that must have just killed you. I'd you couldn't Wayne, play. Yeah, yeah, I'd known him before. I played against him in junior. Mm-hmm. I played with him, you know, in a few All Star tur- uh, games and things of that sort. But right, uh, you know, he changed. You wouldn't believe. Again, I went. Well, that year I took off, I worked in community relations for the Kings yep. because previous to that, we didn't need community relations. <laughs> but when Wayne, when Wayne came, we did. And I, yeah. I you know, started working, and it was, it was the day he signed was the day the phone started right ringing off the hooks. And, and it's, yeah. we can, I can't give him enough credit. It's a singular moment. It's a you know it's a seminal moment I should say for the growth of hockey yeah. in the United States and of course more specifically here in Los Angeles and there's a lot of you know a lot of people had a lot to do with it mm-hmm. and once Wayne was did come here there's a lot of people have to organize and make sure the word gets out and make sure you start exposing the game but Wayne was the guy the only guy that could have made that happen. That must have killed you to not be able to play that year, right? You played 68 games a year before, hurt the knee. Yeah. Uh, must have just well, – And, you, and yeah. I, would, I would have been considered as one of those guys to play with him. I Absolutely. Have the offensive sure. skill. Yeah. You know, I could have been one of those guys. Uh, yep. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, I was so busy just trying to get back <laughs> yeah. that I, you know, just the rehab. I went through a year and a half of rehab, and it was just trying to get back and – of course, that was the light at the end of the tunnel, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, you could never make it happen. You could have scored 70 like Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been okay. I like to tell people, you know, I carried the team for, for 10 years. So, right, right. You know, something was bound to break down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you, uh, you get drafted. Uh, you uh, come into the league. The triple crown line is there. And uh, Simmer, Dave Taylor, uh, Marcel Dion, of course. A couple things about that. Did, what made that line special? What was each guy great at? And did you ever get a chance to get on there if someone got benched or hurt? Um, my first two years, excuse me, my years two and three for me, for each of those seasons, either Dave Taylor or Charlie Simmer were injured for a period of time. Okay. So 
I ended up playing on what you would call the first line or, yeah. Yeah. you know, based on, you know, situational power plays and, and ice time. So uh, I did, you know, get a taste of it. Mm-hmm. What made them so good was the incredible combination, which you're always looking for, but I don't think you can manufacture it. Right. It's not something you can just put them up on the board and say, okay, let's put this guy without it. Just, but you know what? Charlie Simmer was deadly from five feet in, mm-hmm. big body. He would not miss. Dave Taylor would be the corner man mm-hmm. along with Charlie, but Charlie more front net, but Dave would right. go in there. And you know what? If you got in his way, he'd shove his stick right down your throat. <laughs> I mean, he was... He was yeah. ruthless, right? But extremely skilled. Mm-hmm. And then you had Marcel Dion, who was the puck carrier, the, the dancer, the shooter, uh, and you had that combination. The thing I remember most, my first year in 1980, when we got here, we finished fourth overall in the league that year. Mm-hmm. We had the best road record in the league, which was so difficult to do. Living in Los Angeles, sure. our closest team there was Denver, yeah. and that year we played, you know, home and home twice against every team. And we were traveling commercial. Yeah, commercial. So to have the best road record was a huge feather in our cap. But the thing I remember most was the triple crown line and the power plays. Automatic. Yeah, yeah. We got a power play, <laughs> they scored. That was it. You know, I, that's over. You know what's funny? I mean, growing up in Winnipeg, I never saw the triple crown line play. They made an all-star game once, so I think I watched them then. The you know, they just didn't cover the Kings. I never saw Marcel Dion very much, you know, and I've got the Apple vault, you know, I got the vault on my Apple TV. So I go back and, but they don't even have many old LA Kings games at all. So a guy like you, you 731 goals, 731 (laughs) goals. I know that is impressive. I can't believe they traded him. I thought that was really crappy near the end. I don't know what happened there, but like I was, our franchise has a lot of those instances. Yeah. Before the current regime, the current regime is much more stable. Mr. Andrews came in. We have a minority order here in Los Angeles, Mr. Roski. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dean, you know, Dave Taylor had started with Dave. You know, Dave was Dave drafted Jonathan Quick. Dave drafted right. Andre Kopitar. Uh, so taken over by Dean Lombardi. Yeah, we have not had the stability and foundation that those groups have brought in. And uh, that would be kind of part of the reason you're talking about with Marcel Dion. We never seem to have a positive ending for our superstars that ended up playing here and that's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I agree when it when it when it happened you're like, "What? Really?" And and he was still good, you know? He was near the end, but he was still pretty good. So, um uh miracle on Manchester. 5-nothing lead the Edmonton Oilers have over the LA Kings. And you guys won 6-5 Daryl Evans in overtime. What do you what do you remember about that game? Um I, guess, I know you're probably tired of talking about it, but what, that no, must, not at all. That must have been something else. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's still, we ended up winning a series, which is still the biggest upset in the NHL history when you talk about differential of regular season oh, is points. Oh, is it really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They, they had, a, you know, they had a billion points, and we just got <laughs> They had a billion, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so we were, but uh, the game, you know, the thing we, remember the first, the series, the first game of the series, the score was 10-8. Right. So we went first game of the playoffs. We played in Edmonton, and we went 10-8 with uh, an empty net goal that Bernie scored. Mm-hmm. I was on the ice at the time with him, and he did the longest pumper nickel in the history. of. The, he went from one end to the other, the old pumping in the arms. Right. Uh, but then, you know, the game three was, it's just, it's, we remember after two periods mm-hmm. because we were, 
after two periods, it was five nothing, and you know Edmonton was still learning how to win. Mm-hmm. They had a few laughs and a few smiles on their bench. You know whether that has anything to do with it. Who knows? But right. you know, it, it's you ask me what I remember. That's what I remember. I just remember a few of their players kind of snickering. Uh, Interesting. So, yep. You know, and then I remember. You know, I was fortunate uh, when we pulled the goaltender. I came on the ice. I was the guy who the sixth attacker, uh, so was able to you know help out on the tying goal. And then you know Daryl, a, a line of three rookies basically playing together. You know that scored the goal. Uh, the post game celebration. Uh, that, must, uh, that must have been unheard of. Un- it, it, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. It was, uh, it was something that, uh, you know, I, I think it it feels better that we were able to win the series. Mm-hmm. Now, we lost the next series to Vancouver, and uh, that was uh, Richard Brodeur. Yep. They called him King Richard at the time. He just, it's one of those series where I think you look back, you would, no question, we had the better of scoring chances, but. You know, you get that hot goaltender. They went sure. all the way to the finals that year. Yeah. So it was the closest I ever got, really. I mean, it's unfortunate for me, but uh, right. it's, uh, you know, and then, you know, we we kicked off the Oilers enough to the point where they went on and won five, four <laughs> of the next five Stanley Cups. So. Yeah, they took, they took <laughs> so care had, of you guys. They had nothing to thank for, thank for that. <laughs> I know. It was I did one of these with Freer, and he was like, I mean, Grant doesn't say a lot anyways. You know, he's a pretty soft-spoken guy, but he was like, yeah, they just kind of got some momentum, and next thing you know, it was tie game. <laughs> he really, that's about all he had to say about it. He didn't really want to talk about it too much. But um, uh, somewhere along the line in, uh, in your Kings career, um, Pat Quinn is coaching, and he leaves for the Canucks, right? Some, so what yeah, ha- what uh, happened? That was a unusual. Yeah, that was unusual. a, little, a yeah. little weird, right? He was, he was in the last year of a contract. Mm-hmm. Again, you're talking about an organization that probably didn't have the best framework at the top. Yeah. So um, the messages that were being sent and who is going to be the coach and who is going to be the general manager and who is going to be where, mm-hmm. I think Pat um, got himself into a situation where he didn't like what he was hearing and now obviously did the wrong thing. And it's so funny to think back now because Pat had a law degree. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure he knew he was doing something considered, you know, conflict of interest yeah yeah but he ended up negotiating a deal while he was still under contract with the kings at the end of that season he would take over in vancouver while the nhl of course found out and they suspended him for a whole year they weren't pumped but um no but you know for us uh i think i would say pat bob barry my first year was way way underrated as a coach like i mentioned fourth overall all the travel we had to do right Uh, but pat Pat was probably the guy that stands out the most because, for me, I was considered a very small, mm-hmm. skilled player. Pat was known as a big, rugged defenseman when he played, but he always put me in a situation where I would have success. He still respected every player for what they could bring to the team, and uh, I would never forget that from Pat. Uh, and you know, of course, uh, yeah. uh, he's passed away, but uh, we, we, the people that played for him, understood. Uh, he respected the players, yeah. and believe me, he got that respect back. You mentioned you made a few mentions about the Kings and the way they were run and the way things went and all that. Did you ever try to get out? I mean, look, you're an Ontario kid. You know, LA's a long. This is a different time. There's no internet. There's no, you know, satellite games and everything else. You're kind of out there on the island, like you said. The team's going up and down, and guys are coming and going. Did you ever try to get out? Did you? 
You know, I mean, did you just re-sign all the time there? Or was there anything where you looked, looked out to uh, take your 30-goal years and, and, and split? Oh, interesting. Just uh, after my first three years, mm-hmm. my contract was up. Yep. And back in those days, uh, you had I don't know what they call it, an option year, I guess they called it. Sure. Uh, they, they no longer exist. But because, as I mentioned to you earlier, the second and third year, because of injuries, well, I end up moving up, and I was like second on the team in scoring those years. Yeah, if, uh, maybe third. So, so, I'm. They offer me a two-way contract. <laughs> really? So, so I, I ended up going to arbitration back then, which is very unusual. Uh-huh. Hardly anyone did so. That's how Larry Murphy did no, uh, didn't yeah. sign for the Kings. We, were, we came in the same year. We had the same length of contract. Mm-hmm. Because of the arbitration system, and if you can believe what was happening, you won't believe this, but I'll let Larry give you the specific details. But <laughs> he just, he was second in voting for Calder Trophy. Yeah. He was filling the net. So after three years, he went to arbitration too. And back then, the arbitrator could pick anything. He could pick high, low. He could pick anywhere in between. Yeah. He picked lower than what the Kings offered. Jeez. Wow. Which, I didn't know that. Is, yeah. Unheard which of. Which is yeah. a sin. Yeah. It's a sin. <laughs> it's part of the Allen Eagleson oh. tenure in the National Hockey League. I have no problem saying that. Right. Unfortunately, I, I do take responsibility for some of that. I was a player at the time. Mm-hmm. I should have done more re- research. We should have kept on top of it. Right. Uh, we should have understood the rules better. So Larry didn't sign the contract, and they traded him. And, you know, they traded a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, they really I mean, did. A Hall yeah. of Fame player because of those types of things I was talking to you about where that stability and just Jeez. that type of things going on. I never asked to get out, no. No. Uh, I didn't have – it was unfortunate. The thing I regret is this. At the end when I was, you know, when I got hurt, yep. I was really rounding into what I felt was a good – solid 2A player, if you can believe that. You know, you, you learn how to be more effective. Sure, yeah. And, and and unfortunately, I just couldn't, you know, keep it going. I assume I could have played four or five more years if mm-hmm. not injured. Uh, but I, I was starting to really learn, in all honesty, the team concept aspects more than any other time in my career. And that's the one thing I regret. But, no, I didn't think about going anywhere else. Right. I didn't have the cachet. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I didn't right. have that. I mean, uh, I wish I did. It's, uh, but uh, I'm happy. Certainly, where I sit now, I'm more than happy to it's, be involved uh, with the Kings since 1980. It's crazy because I've read so many autobiographies and 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 done. I've done a bunch of these now. Doug Smale and I, an old Winnipeg Jet guy, got into it a little bit um, because of he was doing a little bit of background research on taxes where he lived in Winnipeg and comparables of players of himself and what they were making or what they would be making. But the, the point I'm saying is you guys, man, especially like all through the 80s, it was a terrible system. Most of you guys are just presented with con- – I mean, I guess, you know, Howe and Beliveau and those guys had it maybe worse because they weren't even drafted. They were just like reserved or whatever. But, um, man, you guys, a lot of you guys got taken advantage of. There's no doubt. It was, uh, it was, I'll t- it was a tough I'll time. tell you a story that I don't know how many times it's been told, but I was there. I was the player rep at the time. Mm-hmm. We had – Alan Eagleson was at a meeting and – uh, some people were starting to bring up some specific, concrete examples right. of conflict of interest yep. with uh, Mr. Eagleson. Mm-hmm. And 
one of Allen's tactics when that happened would be just to shoot back at the player in front of all the other players. Yeah. And Jim Corn was a tough guy yeah. playing for the New York Jersey Devils, I think, at the time. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I, you know, Jim probably moved around a little bit. Yeah, probably Buffalo. But he was not. Yeah. He wasn't a star player. Uh-huh. But he got up. And he brought up, he said, uh, Mr. Eagleson, we've done some research and we found out that you're doing this with our money and you're lending it here and right, all this and right. it's conflict of interest. And Alan Eagleson went back at him and just ripped him. F this, sit down, where are you? You're a nobody, you can't do anything, who are you? <laughs> and Jim just stood there calmly. Yeah. When Mr. Eagleson stopped talking and you stopped yelling, Jim said, yes, but Mr. Eagleson, here's what we found out. Here's what we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never blinked an eye. Right. Right. And I don't know how many players would get that to me, slapped me across the face and said, you know what, we've got to do a better job here. And it wasn't too long later where they made the change yeah. and the players were able to uh, get going for themselves. Yeah, you just missed the good now years, uh, Jim. You missed the Gretzky years. Just just missed that money and the, and the goals that would have came with it. Um, yeah, I call it life-changing money. I, unfortunately, I didn't play. I, I, I yeah. was well compensated at the time, but unfortunately I missed by about two or three years of that life-changing money. Okay. The one highlight uh, for you, though, was, uh, I guess, in the Kings, uh, the, not the one, but later on, uh, Robitaille shows up, ninth-round pick, Jimmy Carson shows up, and these two kids, uh, um, you probably were just like, oh, man, finally, right? The, what, what stood out about these guys, and how, how impressive must Luke have been being a ninth-round pick to, uh, to come in and score all those goals? You know, it's uh, Luke came to camp a couple of years before he ended up making the team. But I remember I was sitting on the bench in Victoria, BC, where we used to have our training camp. Yep. And he he was going down the wing, the left wing, and I was right at the bench, at the, you know, right near him. Mm-hmm. I was almost in his back pocket when he took a shot, and it went far corner, top corner. I went, whoa! <laughs> this kid has some hands. It was just incredible. Uh, again, was two years from that point where he finally made the team. Right. And then with Jimmy Carson, just a powerful skater. I mean, this guy, he, he just, you know, that's back in the day when you used to go off the wing and yeah. you know, blast pick it. up the speed and then right. shoot sure. and blast it. Uh, but that, those goals aren't scored anymore because of the goaltending. But, uh, you know, that that is that is a moment. You're right. That is a moment in our franchise history where there was kind of a turn there where uh, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, uh, Bruce McDonald had taken over at the time. Right. And maybe just uh, an more people to be involved and understand and, and expose the Kings to a much bigger market. Did you get along with Bruce McDonald? How was he? Uh, you know, we, we everyone got along with Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the type of owner. I, you know, I tell you a story. We were in Long Island one road trip in Bokadelsky. I think we were still flying commercial at the time before <laughs> Bruce got us a plane, but he lost his luggage. So he didn't have any, and Bruce just walked into the locker room, morning skate, peeled off five $100 bills, gave it to Bob and said, go buy yourself another suit. No, uh, really? So yeah. that's, you know, he was, he was a very person, uh, you know, charismatic uh, person. Yep. And, um, you know, the players got a chance to know him that way. Uh, we certainly don't agree with what happened as far as if he, if he did do what he was convicted of doing. So I would never, ever, uh, you know, uh, get behind him for that. But I also am a big believer in, uh, you know, sticking with friends and sticking with people. And uh, he made a mistake. He paid for that mistake. Uh, and it's something that uh, you move on from. Yeah, it seems like a lot of guys that were around him are like, man, it's terrible he did that. But what a not, what a great guy. Like, what a, a genuinely nice guy, you know. And, and he, he plays a part in L.A. King's history. 
you know, absolutely. And uh, oh, no question. a big oh, part yeah. of it, yeah. You bring rescue, you've done, you've done your job. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, Jim, thank you for doing the uh, Paul Pocky podcast. Uh, I think a nice career in the NHL and a terrific career calling the games. And like I said, I, guys like you were, were people I thought of when, when the Kings won the Cup, and, and um, they look like they could do it again. And um, so – and all the best to Bob Miller, of course. I'm sure you guys will be back together in no time. Uh, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. It's always great to talk hockey. It's always great to look back. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm just so proud to be with the LA Kings for this many years and so fortunate now to win two Stanley Cups. Uh, Bob Miller will be back as soon as possible. He's going to take care of this issue. Uh, again, he's going to use it to, to make sure he promotes any type of screening and testing that people can do for their heart. So, uh uh, Bob is a big part of the heart of the LA Kings, and uh, we'll get him back soon. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Jim.